us. Take our Bible, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to, I'm going to preach a two-part study. Uh, tonight will be part one and next Wednesday will be part two. Um, and it's entitled From Tragedy to Triumph. And we're going to read uh, the, from beginning of verse 28, and I'll read all the way through to the end of the chapter. If you'll stand with me, please, as we, as we read God's word. Beginning in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we stand before you tonight humble. We stand before you simple beings that that need you. And Lord, as as we endeavor to study this subject from tragedy to triumph, I pray that you would help us to understand and and help us to know that no no matter what may befall us in life, you are in charge of everything. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And I just pray tonight you'd help us to learn to, to deal with the difficult times we face as Christians and help us to deal with the disappointments and the tragedies and turn them into triumphs. Thank you for this time we have together. We ask you to bless our pastor now and heal him quickly. And just be with us tonight as we study your word. We thank you for this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tragedy, trouble, tribulations. These, these words conjure up feelings of fear, apprehension, and torment in our minds. None of us here tonight wish for these things to come into our lives. Each of us and our most inner self desire to have peace, joy, and victory in every aspect of our lives. Down through the ages, there have been many tragic events. Yet, if we will take the time to examine and study the days and weeks and months and even years 
following those tragedies, we will likely find great victories. We have all heard the old saying, it's always darkest just before the dawn. How true this is in our lives. After facing the darkness of the trials of life on the horizon, we will see the dawning of the new day. Who is it that delivers his people out of the hands of all their enemies and out of all their troubles and afflictions? Who helps them in the performance of duty, in the exercise of grace, in bearing the cross, in fighting in the Lord's battles? And who guides them along in their journey? Who helps them attain to all blessings, temporal and spiritual, to all needful supplies of grace here and in glory to come? Who helps us? It is the Lord God Almighty. We just sang a song. Praise to the the Lord, the Almighty. Yes, my dear brothers and sisters, tragedy will come. It will come in many forms. It may come in the form of death. It may come in the form of illness. It may come in the form of financial ruin. It may come in the the form of wayward children, of religious persecution, of broken marriages, and the list goes on and on. Yet to the Christian, tragedy does not mean defeat. In fact, to those of us who are the chosen of God, tragedy is but a schoolmaster. From these seeming tragedies, we will be instructed in the power and the grace of the Almighty God. We will learn patience. We will learn hope, faith, Godliness, we will find strength to help those around us who are also hurting. From these seeming tragedies that we face, God will be exalted and glorified. God will be seen in the visitation of these trials. And when we endure, we shall come forth as gold. We shall be strengthened and purified by the fires of these trials. So we need not fear these events. Instead, we should accept them, and we should even rejoice in them. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, the Lord tells us to rejoice and be glad when we face persecutions. Now, I would like to make some observations this evening concerning uh, this matter of tragedy and trials that we face in our life. So this Wednesday night and next Wednesday evening, we will examine... uh, this, this facet of the Christian life from triumph or from tragedy to triumph. Number one tonight, let me state this, do not be surprised, expect tragedy. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7 we read, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. I said, do not be surprised. Expect tragedy. Now, while we all wish for and hope for joy, peace, and happiness in our lives, those of us who have lived uh, beyond the age of 30 understand that trouble is coming. You are either in a problem right now, you just came out of a problem, or there's a problem about to come around the corner, but we know that we face trouble at all times. So you need to expect it. Don't be surprised when things go wrong in your life. Expect them to go wrong. 
For Jesus told us that the world would hate us. The world hates you and hates me as Christians. It doesn't love us. It doesn't want to help us. The world does not want to give us anything. So we should expect these tragedies to come. Now, there are two things to consider concerning these offenses we just read in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. First, we need to consider that they are certain. Christ's words here in in verse 7 does not necessitate any man to offend. Rather, it is a proclamation of fact based upon his knowledge of the causes. Considering the subtlety and malice of Satan, the weakness and depravity of men's hearts, and the foolishness that is found there, it is morally impossible, but that there will be offenses. You notice in in verse uh, 7, it's still portrayed up there. Uh, The Lord said, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. No, No one of us wants to offend another, nor do we wish to be offended. Yet, the Lord Jesus Christ stated that we, in fact, would be offended. So then, are, are we to assume that God has willed for another to offend us? Well, my answer to that would have to be most emphatically no. Read James chapter 1, verse 13. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither doth God tempt any man. God does not put uh, into the heart of a man to sin. It would be impossible for God to put into the heart of a man the desire to do that which he himself has condemned. Yet, offenses will come. Problems will come. Tragedies will come. Expect them. Do not be caught by, uh, by surprise when they come. Do not allow them to cause you to become uh, discouraged and quit. Be ready for them. These offenses are certain. They are going to come. They are going to happen. But then secondly, we must consider not only that they are certain, but secondly, that they are woeful. The Lord said in in, in verse 7, But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Woe, he said, unto the world because of offenses. So he gives us a double woe in this verse. A double woe is annexed to the offenses that we are talking about. First, a woe to the careless and unguarded to whom the offense is given. He says at the beginning of the verse, woe to the world because of offenses. The obstacles and the oppositions given uh, to faith and holiness in all places are the bane and plague of mankind and the ruin of thousands. This present world is an evil world. It is so full of offenses, of sins and snares and sorrows. It is a treacherous road we travel, full of stumbling blocks, precipices, and false guides. Woe unto you and I when we are so careless so as to stumble into these snares. We must be attentive. We must walk circumspectly, Paul states in Ephesians 5.15. Not as fools but is wise. Redeeming the the, the time, Paul says. We're to walk not as fools, but as wise men. Such men walk as fools whose eyes are not upon their paths, who walk in their own ways, which are crooked, 
and ways of darkness and lead to destruction, who walk after the flesh without the benefits of a holy life in conversation and with lamps, but with no oil in them. And such men walk as wise men who walk according to the principles of God's word, who make Christ their pattern, who have the Holy Spirit for their guide, and walk as becomes the gospel of Christ, inoffensively to all men, in wisdom towards them that are without, and in love to them that are within. And as pilgrims and strangers in this world, looking for a better country, and so as to promote the glory of God. So first, a a woe is given to those of us, children of God, who are careless in our Christian walk, who carelessly walk through life and, 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 and without any wisdom allow these offenses, allow these trials, allow these tragedies to overtake us and overcome us. But then secondly, a woe to the wicked who willfully give the offense. He says, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Though it must needs be that the offense will come, this will be no excuse for the offenders. Now, we must give careful thought to this offender. Uh, when I, as I was studying this, a, a question came to my mind. And that question was, can a child of God commit an offense against his brother? We know that in the scriptures, the Lord, the Lord pronounced a, a, a terrible judgment upon those that would offend another Christian, that would offend a child of God. And, and uh, I remember reading that Jesus said it were better for them that a millstone were tied about their neck and they were drowned in the depth of the sea. And I thought, can that be a child of God? Can, can God pronounce such a judgment upon his own child? Can a Christian offend another Christian? Well, to answer that question, we must first consider two factors. First is the degree of the offense. Now, in the passage of Scripture that we have cited, we see that the end result of this offense produces a defeat in the life of this little one to whom Christ is referring. It is an offense that is so deeply rooted in evil that it utterly destroys the heart of the one to whom it is inflicted. It leaves the the man empty and embittered toward God and his kingdom. It is an offense of the highest degree. But second, not not only do we have to consider the degree of the offense, but second, we must consider the intent of the offense. This offense is is brought upon this little one with a malicious intent. Everything done to them is to bring discouragement and to cause them to stumble and fall, to drop their profession of Christ, to quit in his service and desert his cause. It is the goal of the offender to inflict such hurt upon the offended so as to utterly destroy them. Now back to my question. Can a child of God commit an offense against his brother? Well, considering the previous factors, um, 
I will attempt to answer that question. And my answer would be yes. A child of God can offend another Christian. It is possible for a child of God to offend another. However, this would be an offense without intent and without severe degree. It will be totally without malice or ill intent. We will all offend each other. By the type of, but the type of offense the Lord spoke of in Matthew chapter 18 cannot, in my opinion, come from a child of God. One who could, could do such evil to a child of God, or, or to any man for that matter, cannot be one of God's children. Remember, Christ himself taught his disciples that by their love one for another, all men would know that they were his disciples. This would be the evidence that they are Christ's disciples by their love for each other. It would then seem that while a believer may indeed, without intent and without malice, offend another believer, he could never do so with hatred or ill intent. Such behavior would serve as proof of an absence of the Spirit of God. And we know that upon salvation we were made a new creature, and that we are given the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error, and that we will love one another as children of God. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go over today and I'm going to offend Brian Petro. I'm going to go over to his house and I'm going to throw mud on his house and I'm going to call him a dirty dog. I don't do that. But we all will offend each other. I, I can promise you I don't want to. I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt anyone, but if you hang around me long enough, I promise you I'll offend you. I promise you I will because sometimes our zeal, sometimes our ambition steps on the toes of other people. And sometimes we offend each other. But I, I certainly hope to God it's not with malice. It's not with an intent to hurt someone. It's not with cruelty or or, or, or being, being vicious toward another person. If that exists in your heart tonight, pray to Holy Spirit that he'll remove it from you immediately. For this is not the evidence of, of the Spirit of God in our lives. So first, we to are, are to expect sorrows and not be surprised by them. But then number two, I want to state this. When tragedy does come, exhibit courage. Our verse is taken from Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, where we read, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, um, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. 
when tragedy comes, the child of God should, should exhibit courage. Now, in the passage of Scripture we just cited, a great tragedy has befallen the nation of Israel. Moses, their great leader, has died. I can still remember, as most of you my age or older can, I can still remember November 22, 1963, as if it were yesterday. I can remember as a six-year-old boy watching the newsreels and seeing the horror of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. I can remember the grief of the nation. I can remember my mother weeping as we watched the troublesome images on our television screen shown over and over again. What a tragedy. What a discouragement all Americans felt. Yet, through all of this, we found the courage to go on. The date was September 11, 2001. I had just returned home from driving my wife to work. The telephone rang, and my wife told me to turn on the television. When I did, I watched in horror as a jet airliner flew into one of the World Trade Center towers, the other already ablaze. I was shocked as I viewed the horror. Thousands of lives thrust into eternity by the cowardly acts of evil men. This was a tragedy unsurpassed in American history. Yet, somehow, we as a nation found the courage to face this tragedy. And from the ashes of ruin springs forth the hope of the future. Courage. Just the mention of the word evokes the thoughts of words such as valor, sacrifice, daring. God told Joshua and the people of Israel to act and be courageous. He stated, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And my dear friends, tonight, when tragedy comes into your life, when trouble comes into your life, when when heartache and disappointment comes into your life, God has promised us that he will not forsake us, but that we are to go forth with courage. I think of little Miles Diener. You know how easy it would have been for his parents to just throw their hands up in the air and give up? And just say, well, you know, it's, it's all over with. I guess it's just, this is the end. Go ahead and pull the plug. I think of, of Elizabeth. I remember that phone call I got several years ago when Elizabeth was in that horrible accident. Tragedy. Great tragedy. I remember the birth of my own son when I was told by the doctors that there was a, a strong possibility he would not survive. But you know what you have to do is just, uh, you've got to remember that the Lord is with you until the end. And whatever may happen, it is in the will and purpose of God. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Saturday I, I went and, and preached at a memorial service for a three-day-old baby. We, if you may remember, we prayed for this child, uh, Campbell's, um, one of the Campbell's granddaughters, born September 27th, died September 30th. 
great tragedy to us. But it was in the will and purpose of God. And I reminded that young family that we may not understand God's will, but that doesn't make God's will to, to not be right. You see, when trouble comes, when tragedy comes, when triumph comes, remember, you are God's child. He will not forsake you. His will shall be done. And have courage. Stand tall. Continue to worship and honor God. Continue to serve Him in His church. Continue to pray. Continue to do all the things that God expects you to do. Face your troubles with courage. The scripture says, quit you like men. Stand up and have faith and courage. Now, there are some things I want to examine from from the scriptures we just read in in Joshua chapter 1 concerning God's commands about his law. Because when trouble comes your way, this is your only comfort. You know, people come to me with a situation like Dawn and John where they had a three-day-old baby die, and they come talk to me, and I sit there, and I don't know what, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say? Some of you may remember uh, Natalie Berry. She came to our school. Natalie's, Natalie's father died of cancer, and Letha was just sharing with me a moment ago that uh, Kim, her mother, remarried. And her, her, now her, her stepfather is given three months to live with cancer as well. Letha said, what do you say? You know, sometimes you just say, here it is. All your hope, all your, all, everything you need is in here. Just get in God's word and, and don't come out until you, you have your answer. But I want to share some thoughts with you and we'll be done tonight. First, letter A is this. First, we must do what is written. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. God in this passage of Scripture is telling Joshua to exhibit courage, to have faith in him, and to continue in that faith. He is telling Joshua that this courage will make him a doer of the law. It is not enough to hear and read the word. It is not enough to commend and admire the word. It is not enough to know and remember the word, to talk and to discourse of it. We must do according to all that is written. In James chapter 1, James states, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If we are to be obedient children unto God, then we must do more than just agree with the concept of God's word. We must obey and do what we read and hear. When tragedy rears its cruel head, we must not lose heart and become discouraged. 
Rather, we must be strong and very courageous and do that which God has commanded us to do. If we fail in this, we face the danger of becoming apathetic and complacent in our walk with God. This will lead us to a shallow and vulnerable Christian life. It will make us of little usefulness to God in his work. We must be doers of the word. But then second, not only must we do what is written, we must do according to what is written. You know, there's not just doing what God says, there's also doing it in the way God says to do it. God says worship him. But does that mean we we get a a bunch of long-haired ex-hippies up here with drums and and tambourines and and flowers flowing through their hair? No, there's a right way to worship God. There's a right way to do things. And if any of you are ex-hippies with long hair and and flowers, I, I, I apologize. I didn't mean to offend anyone. See, I told you, if you hang around me long enough, I'll offend you. There is, there is a way to do what God told us to do. We see all these, we see all these religions today uh, throwing away uh, and, and, and changing the Bible to, to read what they wanted to read and, and all the things they do to manipulate the Word of God. But we are to do according to what God says. This would imply exactly observing the law as is and doing it. Not only that which is required at the moment, but in all circumstances according to its purpose. Too often we attempt to reason away the literal meaning of the scriptures. We try to rationalize our own interpretations to fit the circumstances of the moment. Well, do you think God really meant that? Do, Do you think God really wants me to do that? You know, I think that there's some latitude here. Huh? I think I think I could get way over here and still be in the in the spirit of God's word. No, no. That's not the way it works. Scripture is not of human inspiration, but purely divine inspiration. If one would claim to be a child of God, then one must believe in the plenary inspiration of the word of God. And if God's word is absolutely inspired, and it is, then it is also absolutely authoritative. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we must believe in the authority of his word. Therefore, we must receive his word as our absolute authority. And we must comply with that authority without question or without compromise. We dare not seek to cause God's word to conform to our lives. Rather, we must cause our lives to conform to the word of God. So first, we must do what is written. Second, we must do according to what is written. And then thirdly, we must do according to all that was written. John 1, 7, again, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. This we must do without exception or reservations having a respect to all God's commandments, even those that are most displeasing to our flesh. Noah, as stated in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, did according to all that God commanded him. So did he. It doesn't say Moses did most of what God commanded him. 
Moses didn't say, okay, God, I'm not bringing skunks on the ark. Okay, I'll bring everything else, but skunks have to stay. I didn't do that. It wouldn't have bothered me any if he did, but you ever, you ever come out in the morning and you got that familiar smell hanging around your house? No, he, he did not take God's commands and begin to pick and choose the parts that he would accept and what parts he would reject. He followed and obeyed the complete commands of the Lord, even if he did not understand the purpose behind them. Oh, yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes God is going to ask us to do things, and we don't understand why. And, of course, I can hear my dad's voice ringing in my ears now. Why, Dad? Because I said so. And that should work for us, amen? Because God said that's all we need. So often today, even among our Baptist churches, many are leaving off preaching and teaching on certain truths. They've compromised their doctrine and their preaching of the complete counsel of God's word. They have taken upon themselves to reason and determine the value of biblical principles and whether or not they should be proclaimed or silenced. And in so doing, some have created a weak and limited God. They have created a God that acts not by his sovereign will, but is controlled by the will of man. Some have subjugated God, God's will to man's will. They have placed the will of the creature above and ahead of the will of the creator. And if one follows this line of doctrine, ultimately one must arrive at the conclusion that God's will is relative to the cooperation of man. But my God is sovereign. He didn't seek anyone's counsel when he created the universe. He didn't seek anyone's counsel when he determined the course and plan of salvation. He doesn't have to answer to me for anything he does. I've actually had people come to me and say, God's going to have to answer to me for this. I've actually had people tell me that. Well, God's going to have to explain this to me. God doesn't have to do anything. God doesn't owe you anything. We have betrayed God. We have have turned our backs on God. And we ought to never forget the fact that he graciously redeemed us. He's given to us that which we do not deserve. I sing a song with the kids in school, What a Mighty God We Serve. And indeed we do. One will eventually, if following this line of doctrine, one will eventually have to reason that God's will hinges upon our decisions and not upon his own purpose. Man, in essence, becomes his own sovereign. He gives himself the power, listen to this, to determine good and evil. Isn't that exactly what Satan told Eve in the garden? You'll have the power to know good and evil. And Satan is still deceiving people with that same line today. Because when a man places himself ahead of God, he in essence is doing the work of Satan, not the will of God. Once great denominations which held to foundational biblical principles have traveled down this road of doctrinal compromise and have arrived in bonds of doctrinal impurity. This road to doctrinal compromise is a slippery slope. Once you start down, you cannot get back up. So have the courage in times of trial to do according to all that God has commanded us to do. It is important that we remember 
that in times of tragedy we will be tempted to re-examine our beliefs and our principles. We must remain strong in these times. God repeatedly admonished Joshua and the people of Israel to be strong and of a good courage. When trouble comes, expect it. Don't be surprised when trouble comes your way. Just get ready for it because it's a coming. Just like for sure the cowboy is going to ride off into the sunset at the end of the Western movie. Trouble's coming to you and to me. And then when trouble does come, exhibit courage. Remember that God will never leave you nor forsake you. That God will not allow anything to befall you, his child, that is not according to his will and purpose. We may not understand that purpose, but it's his purpose nonetheless. And he is sovereign in all things. And we must, with courage, accept God's will for our lives and live that life. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, every one of us in this room, every one of us, is facing tragedy, has been through tragedy, or will face tragedy in the very near future. But Lord, I I want us to understand that you take tragedy and you turn it into triumph. And I hope we believe that. That you are, you are, are, are greater than anything in this world and we are more than conquerors through you. So I pray you'd, you'd bless tonight's study. I, play, I pray it would have uh, been, been meaningful to our hearts and I pray that we would have been admonished by hearing it. And I just ask you to bless this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.